You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, and me, C.C. Broadus. C. Chrome and Gila, they go one, two. Baytown Lovely's picked up several positions, but is running out of time here. Still five lengths away in third and 16th to go. C. Chrome to catch. C. Chrome, Baytown Lovely, Gila, C. Chrome, Baytown Lovely running on. C. Chrome, Baytown Lovely. Baytown Lovely gets there in the final strides for Jack Gilligan. Good evening, everybody. Episode 101 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast is here. I'm CC Broadus. I'm joined by Alan Schneider. Alan, hello. Hey, brother. How are you doing? I'm ready to start this second 100 episodes that we got. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting some more. Spring to finally get here. Today, it made it. Had a beautiful Somewhat. day. Somewhat. It's very beautiful right now. It's beautiful. But, it rained earlier. It's right. Nice. But I think all hell's going to break loose later tonight, as I understand it. I may uh, be wrong about that, but we need to get this podcast over because my yard looks like a jungle. Okay, knock it out. It's this is a yeah. I, I I can't wait for spring to get here, and then like you know, I've got 12 feet of grass in the in the front and backyard. So, but uh, anyway, let's move on. Last weekend, probably the last main weekend for Kentucky Derby prep races. Also the opening of Keeneland. We're going to cover everything as fast as we can here. We'll talk about uh, some of these Derby prep races. Uh, Alan, where do you want to start? Uh, I guess, you know, uh, again, one of the problems I've always had with podcasts in the past is they always rehash everything that happened last week from a week ago, and everybody knows exactly what happened. We have the internet. So we'll try to keep this as brief as possible, but I guess we have to start with Zandon, all that said, right? The bluegrass. Zandon, not Zandon, Zandon. Absolutely. Son of Upstart. He came from uh, from the back of the pack to win going away. He ran past Smile Happy and yeah. uh, Manuel. Yeah. And uh, he's, he stamped himself as probably maybe top three, top four choice uh, in the Derby. That's, you know, I, I, you know, I like to look for um, – the, the sleeper horse a lot of times, but I got a minute right now. I'm in, I'm in the same camp as a lot of folks. Epicenter and Zandon for me with a touch of Tiz the Bomb right now, a touch of Smile Happy. Uh, Zandon, I mean, uh, we were there with Greg Holloway. Greg Holloway, and I both, we both bet Emmanuel to win in that race. And I'll be honest with you, on the turn for home, I thought Emmanuel was going to draw off and win. I mean, he looked comfortable. He had an easy trip. Uh, it looked like Smile Happy was doing just a little too much work. And in the blink of an eye, I don't know. I mean, Zandon come from, comes from 10th, makes up a ton of ground on the stretch, weaves through horses, and just wins going away. I mean, I, again, I thought Emmanuel was a winner on, on the turn. And by the end, down the stretch, it was obvious who the best horse was. That was a that was a tremendous effort by Zandon, just tremendous. He's got me sold now. He's got me sold. What do you make of Smile Happy? Smile Happy, uh, here's the thing with Smile We talk about all the time, talk about key horses, right? Uh, Small Happy has done nothing to diminish his reputation so far. He's run second. Uh, he's, he's a, a fairly distant second to Epicenter. He's run a, uh, a, a no-excuse beaten second to Zandon. I mean, if you like those two horses, like right now I do, right? I mean, he's a horse you might want to keep behind. Small Happy's a horse you might want to keep behind those guys uh, in your Derby Exotics. I mean, the horses run exceptionally well. He's going to get overshadowed because of the efforts of those two horses. But... Uh, Maybe he cannot beat those two horses. Maybe he's just going to run a really honest race in the Derby, right? We'll see. 
going into uh, the race uh, on thoroughgraph, this horse looked like he was poised to make a giant move to make him a derby contender. And I'm, I'm on the fence about him still. He, he had a wide trip. I think he was five wide going in the first turn. And he was three wide when uh, Hernandez made that move around the turn. But he did give up rather easily. He didn't have any fight for the oncoming rush of Zandon. So, um, like I said, I'm on the fence. I really thought this was going to be a uh, forward move. Uh, uh, we'll have to see how the, uh, the sheets treat this race. But, uh, you know, in, in fairness, real quick, though, in fairness, he may have run the race that you thought he was going to run. Zandon might have just simply been better, right? Zandon, smile happy draws off. Zandon ran him down on the square uh, fairly easily. So it may be the same that smile happy run the race that you thought he was. It's just Zandon may have run a, simple, a much better race than we all thought he would, right? I well, mean, that, that may be the case. The reason I was on the fence, you know, like I said, he was five wide, first turn, three wide, second turn. I got to looking at Trackus. I went and looked up Trackus for that race. And he only ran 16 feet more than the winner. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Zandon had a uh, somewhat, you know, not not as wide as Smile Happy, but according to Trackus, it wasn't as profound a, a loss of ground as I originally thought. So, interested to see if uh, McPeak tightens the screws on him in the next com- uh, next few weeks, maybe with some five and six furlong workouts. That's what I want to see. If that horse can, if he can do that and the horse uh, reacts uh, positively, I think his horse, you know, he has a chance in the Derby. And you're going to get a good price on him, I would think, 15, 20 to 1. Uh, yeah, again, he'll be uh, – he's – to me right now, he's the – he's your super effective key horse at the moment. He's the one that I feel like I can count on to run the big – of course, he, the two that I like, he's not going to close to beating them. So, the two that I like, and then Smile Happy somehow filters him. Behind. Of course, it's – again, this is three weeks out. This stuff can get debated to death. It's going to be talked to death. You know, I, I always caution people – like kind of like push a lot of the noise out you know you know who you like don't go you're gonna like a horse today and in three weeks from now you're gonna convince yourself to use 12 horses right and it's like i swear people get too caught up it's like you like somebody you feel like you're you're solid feel free to listen to a little bit of the noise but don't be influenced too much by it you know um i said it a couple weeks ago with epicenter epicenter was brand the louisiana derby right and that, that race is six six seven weeks before the derby whatever it is when epicenter won the race everybody loved epicenter and you can you can set your watch to it. With as more races come in, everybody there's a new shooter and come on. There's a new horse, new horse. Make you doubt yourself. If, if, if three weeks ago you thought Epicenter was the shit, he's done nothing. To think that he's he's no longer the shit, right? So I do caution people. And I, I you know, there's gonna be so much talk, so much workout stuff, so much internet Twitter buzz. It's like man, just try to separate yourself a little from that. You know what I mean? So I mean. It's kind of the way I see it every time. Epicenter will be forgotten about, and Epicenter will be nine to two going off in the Derby. Make your own mind up, but listen to us first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, take. I'll always tell you take whatever the hell I say with a grain of salt. Wood Memorial featured Mo Donegal running down the lonely pace setter early voting to win that race. Uh, Mo Donegal, I thought he had a perfect trip. He, he settled at the back of the pack. Uh, made a somewhat early move, rallied up the inside, saved ground the entire way, and ran down early voting. To me, I think these two are fringe players to a certain extent. I would like to see early voting maybe skip the derby and just go straight to the Preakness. I think Fair he'd enough. have a better shot there. But uh, your, any thoughts on the uh, Wood Memorial? Moldonagal looks like a horse will eat up as much ground as he wants, but he got that perfect he got that perfect trip, right? I mean, you just sit, 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 pull out. I thought early voting was pretty uh, dead game down to let him go by like I thought he was going to give up the lead down the stretch. So 
Muldonagle's a, a Belmont horse type horse who's going to run all day. Uh, I'm not convinced on him from the Derby. I just don't, I don't know if that stride is going to, he has that, that explosive stride late. He seems like a horse more that's going to wear you down. Uh, I don't know. He doesn't seem as brilliant to me as he, I know he's got a, the figures look good. And I'm not saying he wouldn't be in a, another case like a smile happy, but you want to have him on your ticket on uh, for exotics purposes. But I, I don't see that explosive turn of foot uh, for the dirt. I may be wrong. And again, I may, I may warm up to him a little bit. That's not to say I don't like him. I do think he's a top contender, but I have not seen anything from anyone else that would make me change my mind off of Epicenter and Zandon. And again, to me, Tis the Bomb is is a wild card that I will definitely use. So, yeah, and oh. fine. Hold your horses. We got one out west that we need to uh, consider. I know. That Whatever. is Taba. Taba won the Santa Anita Derby. Very, very impressive performance. Running down the highly touted Messier for Forbidden Kingdom. Apparently had some type of throat issue, finished off the board. And he is done for a little while before uh, maybe maybe a late summer return, possibly something like that. But uh, Taba in his second career start. Horses aren't supposed to do this. Broke his maiden going six furlongs. Ran, a, I believe, a 103 buyer. Comes back, stretches out three-eighths of a mile <laughs> in a grade one and wins rather comfortably. Uh, he, had, he did that. Well, I take that back. He did have to work for it in the stretch. He did have to run down Messier. Tyva Messier, uh, horses transferred from the Baffert barn into the, into the barn of Tim Yachting. Your thoughts? Well, number one, I, I don't care for California racing. I've made that abundantly clear. Um, you know, I'll let him beat me. Uh, so so Tyva gets this big number, right, and beats Messier, right? You just said Forbidden Kingdom had a uh, health issue, right? So it was a, six, a piece of crap six horse. It was actually a piece of crap five horse field, right? And then I, I believe three of the horses were non-contenders, correct? So basically it's a match race at that point, right? So you get a big number when you, you encounter no traffic, you encounter no problems, and you just run down one, you know, hyped horse and some, you know, I don't, I'm not impressed. I don't care. I mean, horse wins, wins on Derby Day, fine, go for it. Messier wins on Derby Day, go for it. But uh, I, to me, it's a match race, and someone has to win a match race. So, again, you're not going to get a trip like that in the Derby. You're not going to – got 20 horses and accomplished season horses. So I, I know the comparisons justify. I don't care. Uh, more power to them, but I, I'm tired of the whole West Coast, Yak Team, Baffert thing. If, if, if I lose because of that, so be it. We're going to talk about this a little bit later on. Uh, maybe maybe our Derby seminar coming up uh, the week before Derby. But uh, Tyba did run a 102 buyer. And Messier probably ran, I think, a 98-99, something like that. So uh, a fast race, like you said, didn't beat much outside the top two but uh certainly some fascinating contenders going forward uh let's cover keeneland real quick too keeneland of course opening weekend saturday was a cold great day, day stakes racing but my goodness it was cold it cut me in half that wind that dress keeneland is a giant wind tunnel anyway on days like that but uh you, any thoughts on uh on on a big day of racing you know Outside yeah yeah, the blue, you know, it was cold. Yes, it was cold. I mean, but I enjoyed it. I, I love going that day. I don't, I, it doesn't bother me. I wanted to be there, right? So I just, you just move inside and outside or whatever. You, you, you know, we, we got to see a lot of people. We got to see a lot of our friends. Uh, we got to see Rob and, and Greg and see if I can remember right. Uh, who am I forgetting? I remember that Carla Miller. Carla Miller was there from Columbia, yeah. Kentucky, and her husband, Jeff. Yeah, hello to them. Uh, 
uh, like I said, Rob Benefield and, and, and Stephanie and Izzy. And then, of course, Sarah Hamilton uh, and Farron. Right. They, they made it a point to come out, and we hung with them. For a while. They were awesome. So we met a Sarah E. I'll just leave it at that. I can never pronounce her last name. So it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I forgot, I forgot to bet several races. Because, uh, you know, and Cece knows this. I'll get to talk, and I just like, whatever. I don't know if it, maybe it's a strength, maybe it's a weakness. I don't know, but we enjoyed it. I mean, we really did. And I, I hope I'm hope to get back there one more time this week. Well, somebody we didn't get to meet, but he was definitely there. Was Flavius and Pratt. Oh Flavius yeah. Pratt made his presence felt. Uh, he won several races over the weekend, so including the bluegrass, of course. Yeah. Uh, he's making his presence known here, isn't he? He's he's going to win a bunch of races. He's obviously already well connected. His agents already got. Let him know that he's going to be uh, hooked up with the right horses here in in, in uh, Kentucky, and I believe is he riding at Churchill too? Do we know that? I believe I don't know. He's I don't know. He's definitely out of California now, but he's either yeah. going to ride New York or Churchill, and then go maybe go Belmont uh, after Derby Week, possibly. We we'll have to look into that and see. New Can turf course going up at Churchill. You know, you got to keep Pratt in mind. But yeah, he was fantastic. I mean, he was great. Uh, did he win today? I, I wouldn't really watch the race. Did he get any wins today? This is Wednesday when we're taping this. Uh, not off the top of my head. I don't. I think he might have got shut out today. Yeah, but you know there was. It wasn't just Pratt. There was a lot of great performances. I mean, I, I think the horse that comes to my mind that I don't think people are going to talk about enough is just one time for Brad Cox. My my point with that, I, I was taught again. I was running my mouth. I didn't realize that horse got bet down to favoritism over one one hellacious field, and that horse ran down Bells of the One. Nobody runs down Bells of the One, right? Uh, I, I have kind of undersold you. I know you were high on just one time the other day and I did use the horse, but, uh, I didn't expect, I did not expect him to run down a horse, her to run down a horse like Bell's the one. So I got to think just one time was a major, major, uh, female sprint player this year. Right. I, mean, I, was, uh-huh. I was really impressed by that one. I'm sure we'll see her in the distaff on Derby day. I forgot to mention Caitlin. Yeah. We was out there with Caitlin. Caitlin too, and, and her. Yeah, Caitlin and Kyle and Kyle's, yeah. uh, evil twin or, Friendly twin, whichever. <laughs> right. So let's see here. Golden I don't. Pal. Golden pal. Oh my gosh, golden pal. First quarter, twenty and three. Was forty three and four for the half. And, and I mean, could have went faster. And then that that turf course was boggy too, right? I mean, I, I guess you'd call it boggy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't. Uh, it definitely wasn't firm. But but yeah. there was a there was a tailwind down the back stretch. That that helped. But, I mean, the way that horse breaks, it's been well-documented, for the love of God. Um, I mean, it it's it, it, it in the Breeders' Cup last year. Uh, you blink and the horse up three lengths. That's not supposed to be that way. And, uh, yeah, you kind of Johnny unleashed, you know, that long shot that runs here, runs around here a lot, kind of just kind of drafted in behind him and kind of held second all the way around 70 to 1. And Michelle's horse just might just – just too much chasing from the outside, chasing a 20 and 3 quarter, right? There's better days ahead for just might, but uh, – I mean, you just that, that's a freakishly fast, quick out of the gate horse and golden pal. I mean, a horse is going to England now, and I can imagine he's going to do some serious damage over there. I think that race he's running at Royal Ascot is just five furlongs. So, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, well. Yeah, yeah, this mean, race is five and a half. So, I mean, yeah, he just needs to break. He'll probably win that easy. You know what? And we're going to talk to somebody in a moment here who actually is doing exceptionally well with the two year olds. That Wesley Ward is not, has he even hit the board yet with the two year old? He might have hit one Sunday, maybe run second, third. third, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, let's uh, let's shift gears to the coming weekend. Big day Saturday, and of course the Maker's Mark Mile is on Friday. 
and I'm trying to find the overnights for I looked. Friday. We'll just go over this real quick because uh, I know it uh, affects our podcast a little bit. Of course, they run the the limestone stakes. That's for uh, three-year-old fillies, five and a half furlongs on the turf. Just looking through here, I see Coffee Maker scratched out Sunday. Now she's going to show up here. Dairy Nane, Dairy Nane ran well in the Breeders' Cup uh, Juvenile Turf Sprint, I believe last uh, last fall at Del Mar. Uh, fast forward, here's the Maker's Mark Mile, six hundred thousand dollars, Grade One, and of course, In Love returns. In Love won the Keeneland Mile last fall for uh, Paulo Lobo and Alex Ashar. In Love drew the rail and. He'll be joined by his stablemate, Ivar, who won the Keeneland Mile the previous year. And Ivar gets Joe Talamo. Joe Talamo rode this horse, I believe, to victory in that race a year and a half ago now. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a great field. Smooth like straight. Wow. Set wow. piece. Yeah, it's, it's a great field. Uh, That's good field. horses. And this is a Friday, mind you. So yeah. looking forward to that. But then the... Uh, Saturday card features, of course, the Stone Tree Lexington, which is the official last Kentucky Derby prep race. And that, I'm going to read this field to you. Get your thoughts on this. Uh, this is a little wacky. It's a $400,000 race, eight and a half furlongs. And the rail out, Midnight Chrome with Jose Ortiz. In Due Time, which is the horse that caused the trouble in the Fountain of Youth for Paco Lopez, Kelly Breen. We all see it from the Eddie Keneally barn. Luis Saez. Rides that horse. That's interesting. Sayas rode for Keneally on Wednesday, finished third in a maiden race. Here's one, though. Ethereal Road. Do you remember him? He just ran last Saturday. Ran last week. And I was like, he's going to, because, you know, in fairness, you know, if, if any other trainer did that, they'd probably catch criticism. But, uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're we'll just stick, sticking him back in a week after he just ran. Come on. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm not saying I have no, I'm not one of these people that are like, how, how dare you put your horse in here? How dare you? I, I'm not one of these people. I'm just saying the criticism would probably be there of, an, of another, of other trainers, you know, ran their horse back in just a week to try to essentially get derby points. But if this were 30 years ago, yeah, there's no big deal at all. Yeah. I mean, they were in the uh, 1988 was the last year the bluegrass was run nine days before the derby. Yeah. Uh, Ali Sheba was disqualified in the 87 bluegrass that was the thursday before opening day at churchill back back in the day that was you know like i said nine days before the race and he went on to win the derby and almost won the triple crown and so, you know and walter johnson used to pitch both ends of a double header back in the 20s right you know for the, for the night, one of the greatest pitches of all time you remember you know that right he's pitched both, both ends of a double header 18 innings it's, i've eaten two lunches in one day that's impressive i've eaten five I may have done that today. <laughs> five, uh, Howling Time is number five from the Romans Barn. who had a terrible winter in Florida. Hopefully, uh, when Romans returns to uh, Kentucky, they'll turn things around. Six, Skate to Heaven from the Deodoro Barn. Seven, Major General from Pletcher. Eight, Estrava. Nine, Tawny Port, trying to get uh, make sure they get into the gate. Uh, I think they're right on the bubble as far as points go. And then, of course, Dash Attack is the 10. Call Me Midnight is 11, your horse. Yeah, he's. I, I love that horse. I, the, 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 the distance of that race will suit him a little bit better. I will say that. Uh, but again, he'll need pace to run at. The one that, that off the top of my head, just here in the overnights, I, I think in due time's got to be really tough. I, I really, I, I in due time has impressed me in Florida. Uh, again, I haven't handicapped the race. I'm just a, a bit of a fan of that. I'm a bit of a fan of Call Me Midnight too, and Tawny Poor. But in due time, kind of is one that like that makes me raise my eyebrows in that spot. 
I agree. Without looking at the past performances, I thought that's where I go to as well. Yeah. And how about uh, there's another stakes race in that card, and uh, those opposing trainers better hope that that, that that turf course dries out because you don't want this horse we're going to mention running on soft ground. Oh, I went right past it. Yeah. Well, there's two more. There's one really big grade one, and then there's the Giants Causeway, two hundred thousand dollars. I'm surprised this race isn't graded yet, but uh, yeah, we we're talking about none other than change of control for our friend Michelle Lovell and Kobe Hernandez has the mount, but I'm telling you what, this is a tough field. 14 horses and one on the off list. Jesus. And, and uh, my my eyes go straight to the 12 horse LZ from the Chris Hartman barn for Mitchell Merle. LZ has turned back, changed the control twice, I believe without looking at the past performances. Uh, this is a speedy filly. She likes the Keeneland turf course. Change the controls, got her hand, or excuse me, got her hooves full. Nah. See, and a few others. Change the controls won twice in that Keeneland turf course uh, by open lengths, and both times it was, a, if there's any give in the ground, man, watch out for that. I mean, you know, of course, I'm biased. I'll never, uh, I say, take whatever I say to the grain of salt, and also say that I am admittedly biased when it comes to my friends. So, uh it, you know, change of control loves that racetrack. I don't know who else is in the race, though. Campanelle's in there, too. Isn't that the one that she beat she last? Beat, yeah, it was Wesley Ward. She Wesley Ward, four to five. Yeah. Michelle beat that horse by six lengths last year. Yeah. So right get the teams. hell out of Campanelle if you want to. Yeah. Okay. And then, of course, the Jenny, Jenny Wiley is race number 10. Features two Chad Brown females, uh, Philly Shantasara and the Mary Regal Glory. Look out for Navratilova, though, from the five-hole. Just a six-horse field, though. And uh, Kobe Hernandez rides Navratilova. I wouldn't mind to see him put her on the lead, maybe, see if she can go wire to wire. Yeah, Rigo Glory's in good form. So's the other Chad Brown. They're both in good form. Of course, that's not saying anything everybody doesn't know, right? A couple of female Chad Brown turfers running well. So that wouldn't be a surprise at all, would it? All right, absolutely. Oh, you know what we should mention real quick? We mentioned Sarah Hamilton earlier. Uh, her horse ran in the Palisades on the turf this weekend at Keeneland. And, and all, it ran fourth, but in all fairness, should have gotten third. And so that's a great training job by Sarah. Uh, that horse got white. The one horse in that race, the, the rail horse, Lord Tease, interfered numerous times with people. And just when the Sarah's horse was going to make her move, uh, I think he interfered enough to where it caught, probably cost her third in that spot. But anyway, great job with Circleback Jack for Sarah. Yeah, she likes that horse. I think, you she know, which has a, has a good summer ahead of him so but uh we're not gonna stop with the keeneland coverage here uh, we've got a guest uh, coming up and uh, see if we can get him on the line right now on sunday in the first race at keeneland baytown lovely upset a field of two-year-old fillies to record her first victory and her first career start winning the race in come from behind fashion the daughter of fast anna beat a group of runners trained by the likes of wesley ward Jess, john hancock and john ennis all of which are prominent in baby races at keeneland in the spring in addition, another runner from our guest barn, Baytown Get It On, ran second on opening day. Her trainer, Paul McEntee, joins us tonight to help celebrate Baytown Lovely's victory. Paul, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. First of all, congratulations on the heart-stopping victory on Sunday. Uh, going into the race, uh, did you think that Baytown Lovely had a chance to win? Uh, to be perfectly honest, after the Get It On ran on the opening boys race, uh, they both breezed at Keeneland the week before, and when they breezed together, uh, Get It On was being pushed as hard as he could to lay up with her, and she was lying there 
very effortlessly with a very impressive work. So after I saw how he ran, I was very confident. Oh, so she she won the race by uh, just basically rolling down the middle of the stretch to catch the leaders late, uh, really last stride. Were you expecting that or was this a new dimension that she showed you? Did you think she could uh, rally uh, like that or, or, or how, where did you see her in the race? I knew she'd come from off the pace because she breaks a little bit tardy. And like I had Jack Gilligan breeze her for me about two weeks before the race. And we knew if you pushed her too hard at the start, she tried to like basically go backwards on you. So that's why I put him on as a European jockey. He's a bit more finesse and would let her get her own stride to start with the race. Like obviously in an ideal world, I didn't really choose for her to be that far back. But once she took, got in the stretch and he realized she didn't like the kickback in her face, as soon as he swapped her out wide away from all the dirt, she just took off. And as we we're coming down the stretch, I was like, okay, maybe we'll get third. And then a little bit further and further, I was like, well, wait a minute here. She's actually going to win. That's outstanding. So you, you picked this filly out for $3,000 at Keeneland September. Is that right? Yes. She was the cheapest horse in the whole of September sale. Wow. <laughs> wow. So I know you, that's kind of the level that you shop at. How hard is that to, to pick out these types of runners? Because, you know, like, for instance, this filly fell through the cracks, so to speak. Uh, those have got to be that's got to be like a labor intensive process to pick out runners at this price. Uh, it, just waiting. For definitely, especially like this year, like the year before, there was 150 horses that sold for 3000 or less. Last year, because now all of a sudden the market in Kentucky with all the KDTF funds and they've got the best purses in America. So and everyone's now deciding to actually keep them to race rather than selling them bargain basements. So it made my job a lot harder. So literally, I was there from the very first day of the sale to the very last day of the sale. And I only managed to actually purchase three horses out of this year's September sale. And the other two cost quite a bit more than her and only for having a partner to go in on them was I able to afford them. But yeah, no, she like literally fell through the cracks. She was clean scope, clean x-rays. Her sire is not that desirable, but only he only had three crops and then he died of laminitis. So he wasn't given a chance to prove himself as a sire. But like he ran four speed buyers over 100. For what I look for every year, I'm looking for horses that look they're going to be early sharp types to be able to run for four and a half furlongs. So for me, she stood out. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't think I was going to be able to afford her. And then when I got to the sale ring and I'm there bidding and there's only one other person bidding against me. And for a while, I thought I was going to buy her for 1500 But uh, uh, I managed to get her for thirteen, uh, for 3000 Does it worry you at all when nobody else is bidding against a horse that you're interested in? Does that, no. does that scare you a little bit? No, not at all. Like, not I, at all? Years in, years out, I've done well with free horses. Like, uh, get it on. I got him for free because he was very incorrect confirmationally wise so the farm manager spoke with the owner and they said there was no point putting him in the sale because they didn't want to lose their money so the guy who's a farm manager of Scaratine farm richie dunworth used to be manager out at uh, three chimneys he's obviously as he's from ireland he's a friend of mine so he called me and said hey paul i know you do well with these cheap horses he goes how would you like a free one and i was like well okay let me come out and look at him and Yes, confirmation-wise, he's definitely no oil painting, but he looked <laughs> like he, he could be quick. So I thought I'd take the gamble. And even though he isn't very confirmation correct, 
he's got a ton of heart and a ton of ability. And if he hadn't have stumbled opening day, I think he would have won. So, Paula, at what point do you start on a two-year-old for to get him ready for April? Uh, when I purchased them, uh, I've got a farm out in Stanford Grand, Kentucky, and they go back to my farm because obviously any horse that's been through to sale has been probably sale prepped for 60 to 90 days. So they've been kept inside and had a lot of work done to them. So I try to let them down and relax. So they come back to my farm and I let them be horses. I, I've got two big fields and I've turned all the boys in one field and all the girls in another and let them all just remember what they're supposed to be. And then come November 1st, I start breaking them on my farm. And they'll spend 30 days on my farm learning how to have a saddle on and pack and starting off in a round pen and then eventually progressing to the fields. And then come December 1st, I ship them in to the training center on Paris Pike. Okay, let's roll back to Sunday. Uh, yeah. Let's, uh, let's uh, have some fun. Let, well, how did you Stop. celebrate Sunday night? Oh, my God. Uh, well, <laughs> myself, uh, Jack Gilligan, who's the jockey, my wife, uh, Adrian Laveau uh, and my nephew, Jake, who's just come over and he's been a assistant trainer to Kenny Peak for the last couple of months, all went to uh, Jeff Ruby's. And it was all, all of us, apart from Jack Gilligan, uh, first time in Jeff Ruby's. Is Jeff Ruby's the best restaurant in Lexington? Supposedly, yes. <laughs> Supposedly? Yes. <laughs> is, there, is there a rival? Uh, it depends. I've been to two well-named steakhouses in Lexington and the other place got my steak right so okay. <laughs> on first experience no I'll go with one? the other place what was the one that got your steak right I'm trying to remember the freaking name of it to be honest but, okay okay but, what, what's your favorite Irish bar in Lexington uh horse and jockey it's you been to Linus Linus I've, the I've been there horse and jockey yeah yeah, yeah. Arena, right it's it's yeah it's the old uh uh, cheap side and yeah. the woman who and her husband neve is uh from ireland and, and paul's from scotland and they ran a very successful place in new york for 20 plus years and about a year and a half ago they came to kentucky to visit friends of theirs who owned mccarthy's which is probably the most long-standing irish bar lots of doesn't do food and uh they set up the horse and jockey and they do full Irish breakfast, mm -hmm. pie, you name it, all the Irish foods. They televise all the sports from Ireland, England, and Europe, as well as all the American sports. So that's normally our go-to. Myself and my wife normally go to the track every Sunday morning and give our staff the Sunday off. And we take care of all the horses. And then normally afterwards, we go to the horse and jockey for breakfast. So yeah, that's definitely our place to go. Horse and hey, jockey. You said that's near Rupp, Rupp Arena? Or? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an offer... Short, near Short Street and Upper. I got you. Okay. Yeah, so you right. see, uh, about we were in there. On, we were in there on Saturday night uh, because we went to the uh, Elton John concert, and obviously with a few drinks and whatever, I literally told everyone in the bar that the horse was going to win on Sunday. So numerous <laughs> people backed her and were all celebrating because obviously she paid forty-two dollars. So <laughs> awesome. outstanding. Awesome. Hey. So, uh, Paul, you've got two entered on Thursday, Baytown Melody and Riccio's Baytown. Uh, yes. Anything you can tell us on those two tomorrow? Uh, Melody, uh, my wife picked out for me because I was on the Ray Racing to another track, and she purchased her from Billy Murphy, another Irish guy, at the uh, Fazley Chips in October sale. And to be honest, she's probably not the caliber to run at Keeneland, 
But as she's already there training, the experience babies pick up from there is second to none. So she's going to go up there, enjoy everything she does, and hopefully run, get some good race experience. Riccio's Baytown is by McLean's Music, and I named her after my friend Mike Riccio, who passed away last year. Uh, so that's why she's Riccio's Baytown. And she bullet worked her last work at Keeneland, and Jack Gilligan rode her. And she's going to be another type of filly that's going to need further. So she probably will be coming from off the distance. But I'm hoping that she at least finishes in the first three. Okay. All right. Good info. Uh, Alan, uh, any questions for Paul? Well, one, I, I, uh, I'm i glad he tipped us off that he was Irish because I couldn't quite tell. I thought that his accent might be Spanish or Scandinavian, but uh, you're, you're, you're pure Irish, aren't you, Paul? Yes. Yes. 100%. <laughs> where, 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 where are you from in Ireland? Uh, County till there. My father was a champion jockey in Ireland back in '66. Really? Uh, literally, I'm fifth generation horseman, and I've got uh, two bro- other brothers here in Kentucky. One is a bloodstock agent, and another one's a farm manager for Bill Harrigan. And then I've got a brother back in Newmarket, England, who trains racehorses over there. So we all work in the horse industry. Yeah, I mean the the Irish contingent in Kentucky is phenomenal. I mean it's 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 a big club, isn't it? Very much so, very much. Like Lexington, Kentucky is like home away from home. Like we all associate with each other, we all work with each other, and we all socialize with each other. Yeah, recently on our podcast, we've had Declan Cannon, we've had Julie Burke, we've had James Graham. I mean, we love it. The the accents come through fantastic, number one, but they're all great people. They're all, everybody seems like so much fun. Um, so we're thrilled for the weekend that you had. And it brings me to the question, which a lot of people probably have, when they see your name in, in yep. the past performances, and you know what I'm going to ask, Baytown. Yeah. Where, what's, the, what's the Baytown? Um, when Baytown is synonymous yeah. with Paul McEntee. Where yeah. does that come from? Oh, but basically, my father bought a horse for 500 putts, so about $500, back when my two older brother, twin brothers, were 15 years old. And they both got their jockey's licenses. And obviously, my father was a trainer, didn't want to upset his owners. So to give them both experience, he bought this horse for $500 and called Baytown Coke and let both my brothers have their first four or five races on them. Well, then my father passed away when we were all quite young. And uh, my brother, Philip, in Newmarket, took over my dad's license. So he decided to commemorate my dad. He'd name any horse that he owned or owned part of Baytown. And then we picked in the second names, nieces, nephews, kids, whatever. So then when I started training, about seven or eight years later in America, I was like, well, if he's doing it in England, I'll do it in America and started calling mine Baytown. And also it makes the naming process way easier with a jockey club because I've never had a name refused because I'm the only person in America that calls a horse Baytown. So normally you have, it's quite hard with the naming process and you have to put about six or seven choices in order of preference. And obviously I don't have that issue with calling them Baytown as their first name. That is awesome. I didn't know that's a great, that's a great story. I mean, everybody that goes to Keeneland, they see those two-year-olds in the springtime, they see that Baytown, they just probably assume it's a farm or, or something. I didn't know the backstory behind that. So that that's really interesting to find out. Uh, but you know, we talk about the, and the two-year-olds at springtime in Keeneland, right? It's, it seems like the same core jock, same core trainers, right? There's you, uh, Wesley Ward, John Ennis, uh, help me out, John Hancock. John Hancock. Yeah, uh, there's a, used to be Travis Short, CC, yeah, normally right? Travis and Tommy, normally Travis and Tommy normally hunt horses there in April, but this winter we've had a quite a harsh one in Kentucky, and yeah. a lot of people missed a lot of days because like normally the two-year-old races are Keeneland in April, 
you've got double entries and they're splitting races because there's so many in this year. Yes. That's the biggest difference. None of the races have actually ran a full field. So I think the biggest two-year race we've had so far out of the three races was a nine-horse field, which is very unusual for Kentucky, especially Keenan, because you're running for the prestige of winning the first two-year race of the year and very decent money because of the PDF. So that was the biggest surprise to me this year. Like, I ran horses last year, and they were in 12-horse fields. And all of a sudden this year, you've got eight, which doesn't sound that big a difference. But when you've got eight horses having their first ever race, it's huge difference. Yeah. And, you know... uh, this isn't the first time you've you've bagged one of these. You've been in a lot of these races, and it seems like you'd always run. You were the guys that always run second, third, all the time. But you bagged yeah. one of these last year too with Baytown, yes, I did. Frosty, Baytown Frosty. Frosty, yes, that was the first my first two year old winner at Keenan. I'd run for the last six or seven years, and I'd had eight seconds and about ten thirds, but I'd never actually physically won one. And last year was my first ever two year old winner at Keenan, and he ran opening day. And I put an inexperienced jockey on him just because I like to support the new guys because they always try that much harder. And he hadn't ridden a kingdom before. And I gave him simple instructions. I was like, you will be in front because this horse is super fast. But whatever you do, when you get to the quarter pole, don't kick. Give him a breather. Wait to the eight pole and send him. Well, the jockey's inexperienced took over and he was five lengths clear. Turn him for home. And unfortunately, he got caught in the dying strides and finished third. So then I changed, made the jockey change and ran him back t- 12 days later with Alvin Jimenez, who used to ride for Wesley and with numerous stakes winners, and he rode him. And same scenario, he was in front at quarter pole, but he gave him a breather. Due to give him a breather, he then kicked again and managed to hold on and, and win. And that was my first two-hole win at Keenan. That's awesome. So, I mean, it, I guess it's, it's apples and oranges, or maybe it's the same thing, but which one excited you more, Baytown Frosty or Baytown Lovely? Uh... Two very different things for different reasons. Frosty will always have a special place in my heart because he was my first ever two-year-old winner. Yeah. But lovely, uh, because of Frosty's win last year, I met this gentleman called Joe Turitsky. And at the time, last April, he already had stage four cancer. Oh, so he came up and introduced himself to me and said, listen, uh, I've got friends. They told me about you and I believe in you. And can I buy a percentage of Frosty? So I sold him a percentage of Frosty after his win and a percentage of one other horse, Baytown Warrior. So then we cultivated our relationship over the next four or five months. And him and his wife came to the Keenan September sale. And we went there and we bought between us, between September sale, Fasic Tipton sale, and some, uh, the Maryland sale, we bought seven two-year-olds between us. Because uh, basically he said he believed in me and wanted to see, and it was always his dream to have a two-year-old winner in his and his wife's name at Keeneland. So we go through this winter and I'm updating him on a weekly basis. And unfortunately, a couple of months ago, he passed. So he never got to Keeneland. So Sunday was the first runner in that we bought together running. And his wife, her, her mother and two of her friends all flew in from Wisconsin and came to Keeneland on Sunday to watch this horse run. They brought some of his ashes with them and they sprinkled them in the paddock before the race. So talk about pressure. Oh, <laughs> oh God. That's unimaginable. So then we're all there watching the first ever runner that they picked out that we went in together with partnership and it goes and it wins. So literally we go for the win picture. She's crying. I'm crying. My wife's crying. So like, especially like I'd never want to, 
race with a two-year-old first time out. I'd had a gazillion seconds and thirds. But so for, to do it with the horse that we brought together, the, the meaning behind it was just unbelievable emotional roller coaster. That is an amazing story, Paul. That uh, I've, I've got, to, I'm about to cry. Uh, and it, it takes me back to the race, watching the race. As you said a moment ago, okay, the horse is going to get third. I'm watching the race, the horse can get second. Wait a minute, this horse can get up to win, right? And it's almost like, was there a heavenly force pulling him across the wire to get by ahead? I don't know. Definitely. But, I, I, I put a post on Facebook about three hours later once I stopped crying. And I was like, if ever there was an angel sitting on our jockey's back today, it was today because there's no way that horse should have won. And she did. So there was, I definitely believe that Joe was there pulling her, the jockey and everyone else along. You know, that, that's a story that, that uh, that's above our, our crappy podcast. That's a story that needs to be in the DRF or some nationwide publication. Don't you think, CC? I mean, that, that's an amazing story. Oh, that, yeah. It, that's, Absolutely. I had no idea. I'm so glad we had you on this week of, of all weeks. Uh, I'll try to switch gears a little bit. What about Jack Gilligan? Uh, Jack Gilligan is a guy that he's from Ireland, as I recall. No, right? he's actually he's actually from Newmarket, and uh, oh. he, uh, he actually him and my nephew Jake went to school together the whole way through kindergarten, primary schools, secondary school, everything. And my brother in England gave him his first winner in England as a jockey, and then when he moved to America, I gave him his second win in America, and then up till this week. He had the first, my first biggest winner for me in America. It was like I had a horse that I bought for $1,200 from Greenfield Farm. And uh, I ran him a couple of times. He ran at Keeneland and didn't do too good. And then I ran him at Ellis a bit later in this year, in August, and he ran a second and a third. So then I decided to take a gamble and we went to Kentucky Downs for that crazy $130,000 purse. And he was 50 to one and Jack rode him. And I bet the exacta, I bet the trifecta. You name it. And at that time, I just signed a lease on an apartment complex with me and my uh, middle child. And I was supposed to be like moving in there in 30 days. And all of a sudden, Jack rides this horse at Kentucky Downs. We win a $130,000 race. I hit a 50 to 1 winner, trifecta, exacta. And I literally bought my farm. And that's how I've got my farm that I live in today. (laughs) And now Baytan Jimbo, like he got claimed off me. And three years later, I was following his race career, and last summer, he was running at Belterra, not doing any good, and I contacted the trainer, and I was like, hey, listen, I was like, I used to train this horse, I had him from day one, I was like, if, if you're going to retire him, just contact me, because I said, he deserves a forever home on my farm, because I wouldn't have it if it wasn't for him, so we agreed to buy him, and he sold him back to me for a dollar, and I brought him back to my farm, and chucked t- him out for five months, and let him realize he's not a racehorse anymore, and he's now actually at Keenan with me every day as my racetrack pony. So this year he's been at Keenan ponying all my younger horses and meeting the crowds and they're all petting him and stuff. And he's now my outriding horse at Keenan. Dad, you're a man of many stories. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I feel like I should be uh, having these stories with you over a pint or six uh, exactly. or eight or 15. Yeah, exactly. uh, wow, that's another great story. How much did you cash on that race? You know, we, we, well, that's based on I made about 10000 on my back. God almighty. Uh, let's see if we can keep the ball rolling here. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you what I did want to ask you, because as we mentioned a moment ago, these two-year-old races have the same core set of trainers, right? I mean, you'll have yeah. the, the occasional Asmussen or Pletcher get in yeah. there, but it's yeah. Hancock, you, it's it's Ennis, it's Ward. Of course, there's a new guy this year, Mendez. But 
you know, are you friends with Wesley Ward, for instance? Do you know Wesley very well? I would love to say I do know him very well. We were teasing each other in the paddock the other day on Sunday before the Phillies race because uh, a friend of mine got injured last week and we had a, a charity auction at McCarthy's to raise funds for her. So I asked Wesley if he would donate a golden power halter for the oh. auction. So And he did. So And we auctioned it off at the auction to raise funds. So, of course, that happened on the Thursday. We run on the Friday. I beat him. We run on the Sunday. I beat him. So then I'm walking up to the paddock and I'm talking with him. He goes, OK, he goes, you beat me the last two. But he goes, I got a lot more behind me. I was like, well, yes, you probably got 150 and I've got nine. So I was like, don't worry, you're going to win a lot more than I do. And he basically turned around and said, well, funny story about Golden Pal. He goes, the vet came the other day to check her for his pre-race. And he's like, you sure this is the right horse? Because it didn't say that in his halter. And he was like, well, actually, I donated the halter to this guy for an auction. So <laughs> uh, Wesley's a great guy. And I've always admired him. I was wondering if it felt good to finally beat him, right? I mean, that, that two-year-old is his game. And uh, you've gotten oh, the no. best so far. 100%. I've, like, I've, I've obviously on a very, very, very smaller scale. But that's who I would admire to be. Is like before Wesley came to... Newmark to England to Royal Ascot no American trainer had ever had a winner there and when he first went obviously I was in America so I knew who Wesley Ward was but in England they were like who's this damn Yank and his horse went off at like 15 20 to 1 so of course I'm betting it and of course he killed him and like now 10 winners later he's the most decorated non-European trainer to be at Royal Ascot so that's definitely the like obviously a lot less scale but in an ideal world, maybe Lovely could go to Royal Ascot this year, and maybe I could even take him on over there. That sounds awesome. Uh, you mentioned the horse and jockey a moment ago. I've been I went there this past winter just out of accident. I like yeah. Irish places, and we took going to a Kentucky basketball game, and I absolutely love that place. I've actually meant to tell Cece about it. It's a lot of horse racing decor on the walls, a lot yeah. of foreign horse racing decor on the walls. Yeah, Wonderful so. food. Wonderful service. I was like, we ought to do a podcast from there sometime, CC. That place is that cool. Uh, you know, they know Paul. I mean, Paul gave him a 20 to 1 winner the other day. Then surely they'll hook him up and let us. Oh, I guarantee you we could hook you up with them. The, the manager of that and owner is also called Paul. So, really? Yeah, very good guy. Very good guy. So, yeah. So, you make sure that he plays this for you and your benefit. It's maybe over uh, some um, Shepherd's Guinness. Pie or something. Yeah, Guinness and Shepherd's Pie. There we go. Is that what you drink, Guinness? Because. Uh, Obviously, I've lived in Kentucky now 18 years. I love my bourbon. I've probably got about 180 unopened bottles and probably at least about 20 open at any given time. So I love my bourbon, but I love my Guinness, yes. Yeah, I've never been able to handle the Guinness that much. I like Harp. Uh, Harp's pretty good. Yeah, Harp's good. But, you know, where's the uh, soft American, native-born Americans? (laughs) (laughs) ACC, I'll kick it back to you. Paul's a riot. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Paul, just a few more questions. Uh, sure. You know, the worst part about winning a two-year-old race in April is trying to figure out what you're going yeah. to do next. Uh, yes. You know, you, what 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 realistically is the is the plan for Lovely? Uh, hopefully, she's going to run in the juvenile stake at Keeneland on on uh, uh, Louisville on Thursday, the uh, May fifth. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Uh, any other uh, budding two-year-olds that we need to keep an eye on going forward? Yeah, I've got one called Jeremy's Jet, who who was the most expensive one I purchased last year with Joe Trotsky. And but about a month ago, he was definitely the best two-year-old I've got. And he, to be honest, he probably still is. 
I just ease back a little bit on him because he's not as mature as the other ones, but he'll hopefully run about the second week at a, a Turtle Downs in May. But he is a very, very nice horse, and he's by Street Sets, and I'll be definitely looking forward to seeing him making his race course debut. Cool. I'm right, looking forward to that. Uh, last question. Uh, there's a Carl McEntee that works for Darby Dan. Is that your brother? He used to work for Darby Dan. He he set up his own uh, bloodstock company called Valley Sachs Bloodstock, which is a place that we all grew up in as kids. And he went out on his own about three or four years ago. And yeah, the Carl's my younger brother. Oh, wow. Okay. How many McEntees are here now? In America, there's three. Uh, my brother, Mark, who was actually assistant trainer to Christoph Clement for about 10 years. And then he moved to Kentucky and he works on Maya Comet Farm. He's the manager for Bill Harrigan. And he's been the manager there for 25 years. And then my younger brother, Carl, who got his own bloodstock business here in Kentucky and myself. And then Mark's twin, Philip, who was a jockey in England and Ireland and then became a trainer when my dad passed away and he trains in Newmarket. Of all of you, which one knows the most about horses? <laughs> uh, I'm sure every one of us will tell you the same thing, but as far as I'm concerned, obviously, I'm definitely the one on the top of that scale because I'm the one winning races at Kingdom <laughs> with $2,000 horses. So <laughs> <laughs> you win. <laughs> hey, I got one more thing for Paul, real quick. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, you, did you say your farm's in Stamping Ground? Yes. Yes, it's uh, on Longlick Road, about eight miles from the, high, the old high school. I because uh, I work at George I work at Toyota in Georgetown. Okay, I'm, yeah, I'm right I have to deal with you guys every day because I normally go to the track about four in the morning and the shifts are changing and there's a gazillion cars on the road. That's it. That's that. I'm one of them. I, I hope to not yeah. be doing that too much longer. I've been there almost 25 25 years next week. So I hope right. not be doing it long. But yeah, we're 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 essentially neighbors, my man. Except your job's yep. a hell of a lot more exciting than mine is. Oh, it all depends. I'm sure you get up there. <laughs> It is. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, yes, you see, Paul. Paul's great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Paul. Uh, yeah, we're, we're thankful that you uh, decided to spend some time with us this evening. Uh, good luck to you going forward. We'll keep an eye on uh, Jeremy's Jet, Baytown, uh, Baytown, uh, lovely Baytown. Get it on. With, excited about all these uh, juveniles coming forward, and and uh, like I said, we wish you luck going forward, man. Thank you very much. All right, that's Paul McIntyre, everybody. Alan, that was a great story. I was not expecting that. I was just wanting to talk about the horse itself, but the, the story behind the horse uh, was 100 times better. Uh, yeah, that story should be all over a uh, horse race. We talk about things in this, again, I talk about all the time, the negativity at the sport gets on my damn nerves. I love the positive stuff. And his story about his horse that just won this week, it, it gave me chills. And uh, I could sit and listen to Paul tell stories for hours. And I'll be honest with you, I'll probably be out at Churchill or Keeneland one day, and I'll I'll buy him a beer too. I don't know if I could afford to buy him a, a bunch of beers and have him tell me more stories. He he reminds me. He only sounded like uh, Nathaniel Radcliffe uh, of there's a band <laughs> called that. I don't know if anybody knows that that artist, but he reminds me a little bit of him. But uh, he's got a great voice, and and you know we love. We love our American people on the show, but our Irish people just just kill it every time, don't they? That, that he does have a great voice. That that's yeah. outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. If he sounds like somebody besides Nathaniel Radcliffe, somebody let me know. But it's bugging me. But he he's got a very distinct voice, and he's he's had one hell of a weekend at Keeneland, and it's only going to get better. Paul, Paul was a fantastic guest for us. No doubt about that. Yeah. Oh, we wanted to mention Brilliant Racing real quick. We wanted to mention. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, the Brilliant is there. Our, our good buddies at Brilliant Partnership, I mean, we can't say enough about the, the job those guys do. 
uh, we're really honored to be part of that in some small little fashion. But we're naming our horses uh, now, right? We've got a, a contest on a number of horses, and there's a lot of good, a lot of good. It's a son of uh, son of mastery, right? Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. And uh, my name was Old Dirty Master. Uh, I, I can't imagine people would want to oh, vote for that that much. Oh boy. Old you know, dirty like master. Old dirty master. You know, I don't want to. But uh, there's a lot of great names. It's fun getting the opportunity to name a horse. Would that and, pass uh, the uh, jockey club standards? I wonder. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's going to have to worry about it anyway. But uh, At Baytown old dirty master. Oh, there you go. I just, you know, I, I I thought of some other things, but they wouldn't quite make it on there and stuff. But I, we got to keep it classy, right? So it's a classy organization, a lot of fun. So I'm sure they'll come up with a nice classy name. Going back to to Paul, what I was going to say, and I'll beat this drum to the day I die. We have a tendency to look in a program and, and we see Todd Fletcher, Steve Asmussen, Wesley Ward, Chad Brown, and then we'll come across a guy like Paul McEntee and say, well, this guy, he can't train. He's not, a, he's not, he can't. Stupid. That, that's, that's not, that is, that is an incorrect assertion. These guys, like Paul, know as much about a horse as any of the guys that win all the races. They just don't get the chance. Yeah. And like I said, and going back to Sarah Hamilton and, and all the trainers that we've had on here prior to that, that, I mean, these, these people know what they're doing. And when you see them in the program, you better believe they know their way around a horse. And, you know, you shouldn't just assume because you just because you haven't heard of the name that they're just some Joe Schmo that walked off the street and bought a horse. Right. Now, as we heard with Paul, for instance, the lineage with his horse acumen goes back generations overseas Ireland. He says his dad was a rider. Right. Uh, fifth generation horseman. Just because you don't recognize the name, that doesn't mean a damn thing a lot of times. Right. So eventually, if you don't recognize the name, you're going to recognize the name Paul McEntee. You're going to recognize the name Sarah Hampton. You know, Michelle Lovell is that way. She's she's now hit that next tier. Uh, but I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, that's the way we feel. And I hope other people do, too. So we're going to close on this note. Uh, a few weeks ago, in passing, I had mentioned that I had I thought I remember a horse back in the early 80s that had a sex change. The what? And like I said, it was in passing. I, I, I looked into it, and I finally found the article. This was in 1982. It was the 1982 Kentucky Derby. The horse didn't have a sex change, but uh, there was an owner that was in failing health. You, you want to look it up. It's in the Washington Post. Wanted to buy a horse to run in the Derby. He tried to buy Linkage, who I thought was owned by Claiborne Farm or, or something to do with Claiborne, but uh, Link, they wanted $3 million dollars for linkage. I think it was maybe too expensive. And so he wound up peeling off, uh, as the article says, $750,000 for a horse named real dare and real dare. I don't know much about the horse. He didn't run well in the Derby, but the, 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 the story I want to get to is that this was a gelding and Alan, what's a horse, uh, or excuse me, what's a gelding? Uh, that is a horse that has, has uh, been snipped, has had his, Family jewels removed, right? Yes. So this... Uh, Testicularly speaking. This owner had paid $750,000 for a gelding to run in the Kentucky Derby. There's not a whole lot of residual value on a gelding. Now, if, if, if you have a full horse that has his stuff intact, 
then you might have some residual value at stud, but obviously Gettling can't do anything after his racing career is over. The the owner inquired to the trainer about having the horse's private parts reconnected. What? To re- reattach, he wanted to reattach his nougats. Uh, how do so, you do that? In, in the parlance, in the parlance of our times, his stones. He wanted to, he wanted to reattach his stones to make the horses. To give him stud value. It, does it work that way? I, 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 pardon my ignorance on the matter. Does it work that way? It does well, not work that way, no. Because if you stitch them back on or whatever, the hell, or weld them back on, I don't know. Uh, does everything get connected back to the way it was? Yeah, it, it didn't work. Real Dare ran off the board in the Derby. I think he was like 19th or 20th, and I don't know what happened to the horse after that. But that's the, there's a lot of fascinating stories in, in Kentucky Derby lore. That's That's closer to the bottom. Yeah, yeah, but, I'll say so. But that 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 was I I do remember. I, I it seems like Billy Reed wrote a, a column about this horse Derby Week, and I know I've got it somewhere. I'm going to try to find it. But uh, so yeah. did they did they put um, the jewels back in place or not? Or they attempt and it was like that's not going to happen. How did that work? I'm I'm confused. The only the only jewels were were that the horse did attempt the first jewel of the triple crown. That that's, that's as far as the jewels ran. Okay, all right. I mean, so in other words, they saved the horses. Um, I don't. Maybe I don't know. I don't. I don't. Maybe it was, yeah. We're, I'm gonna get lost in the weeds, but just okay, look up the article story. if you have a chance. Oh, I'll look it up. There's there's a lot of fascinating stories that that don't get reported as much. I know we know of a few of them. We ought we ought to bring them out once in a while. But uh, yeah, that that's what I didn't know about. I'll, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Yeah. You remember the story of Ten? You remember Ten Sin? Remember that horse? That the uh, the Larues? Remember the Larue? Like Benji? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Rusty and uh, that 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 group. Uh, they were going to run that horse in the Derby. He was 0 for seven. He'd been yeah, running the all about maiden, yeah. Right. He'd been running maiden claiming races in uh, at Turfway, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think he'd ran for a maiden 15, and they were going to try to run him in the Derby, but thought better of it. Yeah. I forgot all about that. Yeah, that wasn't that long ago. There's, there's a lot of those stories. Big Al's Express uh, was a Rick's horse. Natural Star. That was a Breeders' Cup. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. Uh, Big Al's Express is this guy. He brought a first-time starter. He vanned him on. He vanned him from either Arizona or California. He on a van and like you know took a week to get here. Kind of like the way mine that bird came over. But Big Al's Express made his debut in the Derby Trial. And he ran. He ran last, but. During the running of the race, Dave Johnson called him out as making a big move. He says, here's Big Al's Express making a big move on the outside. And I think it was another horse had similar silks. And uh, everybody in the press box or wherever wherever he was, they ran down to congratulate this guy. They thought he'd finish fifth. When in reality, he'd been beaten like 100 lengths. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of those stories that we just never hear about. Yeah. All right, that's all I've got. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add? Nope. Uh, got another got another favorite guest. We have a uh, Paul McEntee's right up there. He's climbing the ranks of all the rest of them. He was a lot of fun. All right. On behalf of Alan Schneider and Brandon Jaggers, wherever you may be, this is CC Broadus signing off and reminding you that gambling money ain't got no home.